Welcome one, welcome all. This is the Discovering Masculinity podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, coming to you tonight from a uh, rather uh, an unusually warm Franklin, Tennessee for this time of year. We uh, just topped off almost near 70 degrees uh, today, so we, uh, you know, we're, we're enjoying it while we have it, uh, but, you know, as, as things do in the southeast, uh, a front's going to move through and then it's going to be cold on the weekend, so uh, that's just how things are, but uh, joining me to uh, today, tonight, from uh, beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, this man is the CEO and founder of the uh, Restoration Project. He is a licensed professional counselor who specializes in men and masculinity, sexual addiction, trauma, and abuse. He is Mr. Chris Bruno. Chris, thank you so much for, uh, uh, A, for reaching out to me. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, that you had heard heard the podcast and gotten some uh, some value out of it. Uh, it was uh, a real honor to uh, to have your team reach out to me. Glad we were able to uh, connect and get this uh, get this set up today and this is actually my third uh third day in a row recording so uh i think i'm, I'm getting used i'm getting used to it so um but uh chris welcome to the program it's uh it's great to have you thank you so much it is fantastic to be here and i just love the work that you're doing and the podcast and and i think we are uh really kind of pursuing some of the same things so i'm looking forward to our conversation today Definitely. Yeah. Myself as myself as well. So, um, well, Chris, I mean, you've heard the show, so, you know, I like to dive in with both feet and, uh, make a big splash right away. So, um, uh, the first question, it's kind of the theme of the show that I ask every single guest, what, uh, to you, what does it mean to be a man in the Western world in the 21st century today? I love the loaded nature of that question and that you do dive right into it all. Uh, so, you know, for me, what it means to be a man in the Western 21st century has not changed from what it has meant to be a man uh, since the beginning of time. And so for me, I have to root myself not only in what current culture is asking me to be and requiring me to be or demanding me to be, it is, it is really in uh, who men have been uh, for millennia. And, and for me, that goes back to some of the kind of original uh, narratives that we've been given of, you know, ancient man. Uh, and for me, the context being from a Christian perspective, that's coming out of the book of Genesis, uh, where where God makes man and woman in his image. And, and I just love really how the, the Hebrew language in that passage uh, gives us clues into what where I want to root myself as a man. Uh, and the the terms for man and woman, male and female in that passage uh, is is coming it, it, I'll just focus on man. It's the word zakar. And it is not used often in the scriptures. Uh, and generally in in Hebrew, if it is used, it is, is used in reference to the male member. Uh, and okay. so in, in some ways, the Hebrew language in the Genesis account is telling us that, that we were designed 
as uh, as penis and vagina, if I can say that, right? We were designed yeah. as the one, uh, and, and some language, you know, translations talk about it, the one who pierces and the one who is pierced. Mm-hmm. And I think there is both an anatomical connection to that, obviously, but I think far more it is uh, a characterological reference. The one who both uh, both reaches out and you know moves in and brings life through his strength. Uh, that is who I think a man is. And so uh, I could dive in far more than that, but I'll pause there just because of because of time. I, I, I just like to root myself in the places where we have been for millennia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and what do you think it, that it means um, coming from a more secular cultural stand base what what do you see the um what do you kind of see this how do you see the status of, of masculinity at, at this point in history oh the status of masculinity i think is far more embattled than it ever has been uh, i feel like who we are uh, as men who we are as women who we are as masculine who we are as feminine uh, i think all of those things obviously are uh, really in the crosshairs of both confusion and frustration and anger uh, and, and all that. And I, I like to think about it too, in the context of uh, masculinity and femininity, femininity are not opposites. They are along kind of a, a line of, uh, of spectrum that I, as a man hold within me uh, some, some aspects of the feminine and, and women hold within them some aspects of the masculine. And I think this gets into some of the union uh, ideology of the anima and the animus, mm-hmm. uh, but status of masculinity today. Uh, I feel like, uh, uh, my word was embattled. I'm going to stick with that one. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard it described in, in a lot of different, different terms as, um, um, the the slang that i slang that i've heard is is dumpster fire <laughs> um but uh, you know in some that's fair. yeah yeah in some some respects and and you know that that's part of the reason that uh you know that you know i i wouldn't you know that you're doing what what you're doing and that i'm doing what i'm doing and and why there's kind of a uh, a renaissance or a revival of uh you know of some of these more masculine and more traditional virtues is that you know the the status of masculinity right now is is like you said, it's embattled. It's, it's really doesn't have a, um, I don't know. It doesn't have a, a greater calling. I feel like I, I think, um, you know, it, it's looking back on history, at least my, my view of it is that the, the role of the traditional male head of household kind of stopped or changed, uh, very dramatically, uh, post-World War II. Um, and just because in my reasoning is, is that it just, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of great wars or, or huge, great threats to the, to the world that we in, in the last, you know, in these last 60, 80, I guess it's, you know, gosh, it's been 80, almost 80 years since the first world war, but or second world war, I'm sorry, but, uh, it, it's just, I mean, there's threats out there that that men have to rise up against, but we don't. They're not as 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 visible. They're not as easily put, you know, put uh, to put your hand on as as that. And it's those those type of battles and those types of, um, um, I guess, men standing up in those in those situ standing up to that type of uh, uh, thing is it's a lot more it's a lot more veiled. I guess it's not it's not just as 
it's not as easily as pointing at a, a flyer that says, you know, um, you know, America's good, Nazis bad. You know, it's 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 a lot more nuanced than that. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that's kind of contributed to the um, uh, to the status state of of men and masculinity right now is that we just don't have that kind of uniting uniting thing that uh, and and I know you're well aware of John Elders's work. One of the things that he talks about that men men are really needing is a a battle to fight, some type of crusade to to be on and that's very, very different in, in these, in these days than it was, you know, when, when our, when my, my grandfathers and, and grandfather was, you know, um, in, engaged in, in that type of, you know, when, when those type of things were, were coming against the Western world. But, um, I want to switch gears a, a little bit. Um, well, let me, let me first just get, kind of get your, your take on that, your reaction to, uh, to what I just said, my little monologue there that I kind of jumped off on. Um, yeah. What, how, how are you seeing men kind of manifest that need for, for campaign, for battle, for pursuing something? Oh, well, I see it a lot. I see that we do need something to be about. We do need something to give us pur- purpose. And some of the danger that I see is that if that purpose comes from something external, that, mm. you know, it is, it is, uh, we're just kind of at the whim of whatever comes our way versus uh, I would advocate for something to rise on the internal of who am I? Who was I designed to be? What is my purpose? What is my intention? And not like the whole purpose-driven life kind of thing, but more like who was I designed to be mm-hmm. and what was I designed to bring? And uh, so I do feel like there is a sense of rally that happens when men are men together. And, and whether you're on a football team or basketball team, or you're on the front lines of a world war, there is some camaraderie that happens among men that that we are in this together. Uh, but there's something also like we're, we're in this world together. We are in this, uh, this community together. We, whether or not it is a world war, we, we are, uh, designed, I believe to come against that, which is wrong, come against that, which is unjust, come against that, which is, uh, just kind of taking away and stealing innocence in the world that uh, that also, I think, is a is a battle worth fighting, even if we don't have a big kind of global initiative to to fight behind. Yeah, I also find it absolutely fascinating. You know, uh, forgive me for even kind of where I went originally with with the anatomical connections to the biblical narrative, mm-hmm. but I find it fascinating that most of what men associate with masculinity has to do with being hard yeah being strong mm-hmm. okay and, and in many ways being erect and so i find it fascinating that the majority of our time physiologically as men is not as hard yeah okay yeah and there yeah. is something deeply masculine also about how we are um in our everyday being uh not just in the moments where we are kind of reaching out in that way yeah. so that's my reaction. My thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and um, kind of getting back to that that hard thing. There's a popular guy on online. Uh, well, he's he's online. He's published author. Um, I actually 
kind of admire him for the journey that he's been on, but it comes from a little bit more of a secular journey. But his uh, uh, David Goggins, I'm sure you you probably heard heard of him, uh, former Navy SEAL, and and he's done a lot of really uh, really you know great things physically. But that's kind of one what his tagline is uh, is stay hard, you know, because that's just kind of being hard was help, helped him get out of the the situation that that he was in, and and uh, that I. I immediately thought of that when we talked about, you know, the physicality and, and being, being hard. And, and, um, I think there's, you know, there's, there's a time and a place for, for that type of machismo, that type of, you know, being, being hard. And then I think there's also a time and a place that, uh, you don't necessarily need to be more feminine, but you need to be a little bit more, um, receptive. You need to be a little bit more, uh, extend a little bit more, uh, grace, I guess, you know, and Jesus was a great example of, of that. Um, I was talking with my guest from last night when we were talking just like, you know, it's the, the, the same man that threw the money changers out of the temple is also the same man that stopped, you know, uh, people from stoning the, the woman to death when she was caught in adultery or, or saved the woman to the soul of the woman at the well who had a, who had a very checkered past. And, um, you looked, uh, looked poised to, to say something and react to a couple of those well, things. It, yeah. I mean, it just, even, even the idea that grace is feminine is something that, uh, that I feel like is, is part of what is the embattlement against masculinity, because in, in my mind, like flaccidity is equally masculine. Mm-hmm. That there is just as much masculinity and grace as there is femininity and grace. And there is a, a hardness and a softness. There is a strength. There is a tenderness. There is a, I'm going to press in and I'm also not going to destroy in the pressing in. Mm-hmm. Like there is something about the connection of those things that, that um, those character, you know, characteristics or qualities or gifts like grace uh, and mercy and tenderness and empathy and connectedness and all those things those are not masculine and feminine traits. Those are human traits. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I I do want to ask, and I'm kind of going somewhere with this, I kind of want to connect the the dots here a little bit, but uh, what are, what are some of the ways that you, different ways that you see that men and women manifest the, uh, uh, the image of God or as, um, um, as it's called the, the Imago Dei? Oh, great question. So the way that I think about it is, is how do we partner with God to bring life? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because it is at, you know, if we're going to go all the way back again to the, to the garden into Genesis, it is this partnership, this co-creation of God with Adam and Eve to bring creation into, uh, uh, into from chaos into order, and then also to kind of give it to humanity to rule and, you know, uh, bring more life into the world. Um, so in in the feminine, uh, I think there is something that we men do not have. And that is the, the ability to literally knit together life Mm, in the context of their, of their physical being. Now, I, I do not believe that is the only way I, I think it is again, both a physicality and a characterological aspect of how women were designed. So I, I feel like there is something about how women bring life and goodness and beauty and their own version of strength into the world, as well as the the partnership that they have with God to, as I said, literally uh, weave together life in their, you know, from their body onto another body. Mm-hmm. So, 
second to that then also is how men bring life and uh, it is not in a physical kind of way like it is for women and in my mind uh, and in the research and study that i've done it is that uh, and i talk about this often that implanted or, or, or given to each man is this nuclear power plant inside of his soul that when it is turned on and he brings from it words of life again mm. partnering with god in the way that god brings life he speaks life into existence and he gives yeah. adam the charge to name life name things speak things and he he tells people all throughout history to bless and to name uh and and so as as this nuclear power plant of words is turned on and a man uses his words to bring life, life and warmth and goodness uh, result. But if that nuclear power plant is turned off, it's dark, it's cold. Yeah. Uh, it results in vacuousness and emptiness and darkness. If that nuclear power plant is kind of fractured or broken, it can leak toxicity into the world in such a way that it will bring violence and death. And so that I think is how I, uh, how I talk about and think about how do men and women, masculine and feminine reflect the image of God, uh, in both the, the strength and the tenderness ways that we both do, uh, and how we co-partner with God in bringing life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's great. I, uh, just the, the, the phrase nuclear power plant. That's uh that's a really, that, that's an interesting phrase. I'm going to uh, have to remember, remember that one that, and um I, and I don't remember the, the, the exact chapter and verse off the top of my head, but I know in Proverbs, it says that there's power, power of life and death are in, in the tongue. And so, I mean, that's, and I'm sure you've seen it too in, in the times that you've counseled men, like some of the, the worst times in, in marriage can be when the men's, man's just completely shut off and he's not offering any words, he's not communicating. Um, and so that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's something that, that came to mind too while you were uh, discussing that. And I, I, I like to, um, I, I kind of had this thought uh, a few a few months ago that one of the the ways that uh, men bear the image of God is, is come, when it comes, like you said, bringing and creating life. And if you think about um, um, when God was done with the process of of, crea of creation, he had to rest. Uh, and, you know, what's kind of the, the, the classic joke about men after they, they have an orgasm is that they have to go to sleep, you know, so, but, you know, it's... That's that's one because we're just so spent bringing that life forth, and I believe that God was just He was spent bringing the, I mean He was doing a lot more than just making a, as complex as a simple human being is He was doing that ad infinitum the heavens the earth like the you know, galaxies and and just all the cosmos that we see that he, that He was creating and bringing forth and so yeah no wonder He had to He had to rest and and I think that. Um, that's one of the ways that I think if, if more, more people, more men kind of viewed the, uh, the sexual this, uh, and a sexual act is like, no, you're not just getting a good feeling, a dopamine hit from, from doing this. You're actually, this is the process used to bring forth life. And this is how you reflect the image and characteristics of God. I, I think that would, I, I think that would be a lot more, you know, the, the state of sexuality in the, in the country would be a, a lot, uh, a lot different. Um, and, 
I, I, my, my feeling is my, and God's given me a lot of grace in this category and in my life here, especially recently, but I I've, I maintain that, uh, you know, sexual, uh, a sexual act of someone, that's the most intimate act that you can perform with another human being and, and that it shouldn't be taken flippantly or lightly, or just taken as a way to, uh, you know, blow off steam or, or get some, because there's a, a very complex process that goes on, uh, in that act with another person. Um, so, um, let me, let me get your, uh, I mean, kind of, let's, let's take that, that topic here for, for just a moment. Um, the, um, um, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you've probably heard of like the, the online movement called the red pill movement, you know, um, based in a lot more secular, uh, secularism. And I, I, that's one of the reasons that I created this podcast was I found some creators in this space and I, some of what they were saying, you know, I, I kind of agreed with and kind of reflected about because they, they do kind of espouse like, you know, for men becoming a better version of yourself and and kind of getting your your stuff together. And and uh, but then, you know, when it comes to dealing with women and the sec they call it the sexual marketplace, I just that's not who I'm called to be as a as a child of God. And so um, I, I want to kind of get your your take on on that and the, the status of that and, and just see um you know, get, get your feelings on, on the red pill movement and movements like that online. Oh, well, goodness. Uh, such great topics that could be hours long of conversation. You know, I, I've got your email I, address. I'll invite you back on. <laughs> whenever, whenever I hear anything like quote unquote sexual marketplace, uh, everything in me cringes because it is, it is making something unholy, unsacred, that was really designed, as you just said, designed to be the most sacred space on earth. Uh, that the two, the one God created two, and then the two again become one. Like this, this, this process is is a divine, sacred experience. And what we've done is we've made. We've turned sexuality from an expression of connectedness and love into an event that is, you know, one and done, or, you know, just like you said, blowing off steam or getting some it's, it's was never designed for that. It was always designed to be in this, in this beautiful and holy sacred space. And so movements like this that are trying to, uh, uh, to kind of diminish or demystify sexuality in that way and, and the sexual engagement, uh, I think are, are really leading us away from uh, some of the most beautiful uh, God-given moments that we can experience as humans. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And the fact that thing that it's just, it's so readily accessible now. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really alarming just the state of just how it's, and I, I heard, um, it was right before Christmas, I think, um, you know, one of the popular, uh, pornography sites, I'm not going to say the, the name of it just because I don't want to give them any extra more, you know, pub publicity than, than they have, but they released their, their statistics and studies right before. And, and some of these numbers that they released were just so alarming and just so, so sad, just like of, of just the, the demographics of, of people who are partaking in, in this content. And it's, 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 it's a, it's such a different, 
for, for uh, someone who's in their adolescence and someone who's just coming into their own and just starting to figure out like, what is this all, what does sexuality all mean as part of my existence as a, as a person? Um, it's so much more different and dangerous than, than when I was that age. I mean, when I was, when I was that age, like my, the, the internet was just starting to become a thing in, in the, in the house. Um, it was, you know, there was still like Playboy magazines and things like that, but it was, you know, done through print and God love my dad. He never engaged in any of that. He never, he, people would talk to me about, Oh, you know, I found my dad's Playboy. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like, he, I'm like, no, my, my dad doesn't, you know, he didn't have any, anything like that around the house. And, and he was, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons that I admire him so much is that yeah, when, when we were growing up, he never drank, never smoked. Um, you know, he didn't have anything like that around the, around the house that we could, could get into. And, and so I, through my teenage years, I was just never exposed to it. So it never became that big of a, a draw to me, but you know, I, I, but now, you know, now if you put 13 year old me in and put him into 2023, where I've got access to that high speed access to that in the palm of my hand, every hour, every day, I, I can't imagine what kind of, you know, develop, how that would stunt me developmentally, how that, I mean, I, I had a hard enough time talking to, to women and, and having a relationship when I was a kid, you know, it was, I was awkward enough. And, and I went to a small school and there were only 12 girls in my class. I mean, I you know go on and on about that. I mean, I, I had a, you know, hard enough time with, with that, but I think just having that, yeah, having that in, in your hand, it just, just really just diminishes that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just such a, for all the good that technology has done us has brought it, you know, you and I, you know, uh, we can have a real time conversation across the country. There's so much more, you know, evil that it's, that it's done through, through this and, um, even through Instagram and now, and now OnlyFans too. I mean, OnlyFans is just, that's one thing that just makes my skin crawl because that really preys on the loneliness of, uh, of young men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, a whole topic that I could dive into and I've done a lot of work in the area of pornography and sexual addiction and sexuality as a whole. I mean, that there's a whole kind of body of content that I've developed that, that I call the theology of the penis. And mm-hmm. it is all around kind of re-elevating and reorienting us to what it is that God designed for us uh, as, uh, you know, as men. And so, um, again, lots I could say about, about that. Last thing I'll say about pornography, unless you want to keep going about that, is just that there is nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. The waywardness of the human heart has not increased over time, despite the fact that our access to this kind of content has increased over time. So yeah, the, we have to grapple and this is, you know, your, our generation, you're in my generation and the generation, you know, at our father's generation, uh, and even some below us that have developed the technology to have this kind of access. Like we're going to have to grapple with the implications because it is having massive, massive negative impacts on the younger generations uh, that are really kind of, we're to blame, not Mm -hmm. the user as much as those who have created it. Um, And then also we're not fathering our children 
with an awareness, you know, we're not fathering them sufficiently with an awareness of what to do when they have the exposure to pornography. Yeah. Um, that is also on us to, to father the next generation, because now it is inevitable that there will be exposure to pornography mm-hmm. of almost every person in the country at some point. And the target of the sex industry is now eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's sad. That's disgusting. And that is something that we, as you know, as parents need to be thinking about, not only for our own selves and like, uh, are we addicted? Are we exposing ourselves to these things? What impact is having on us? But then how are we parenting our children to navigate through that? Not, not for the time, if they are exposed, but for the time when they are exposed, what can they do with their hearts? And I think re-elevating their minds and, and I, and concepts of themselves as sexual beings back into a theological perspective is really uh, the place we need to go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of thinking back on my own journey and exposure to, to that material. And, and I just remember, I just remember it was more out of kind of a curiosity standpoint. It was, it's exactly what you're saying. It was like, I, I, I got to a point in my, in, in my life where I was like, okay, if I'm in a, in a relationship and, and I, you know, what, what, what is, what do I do? How does this work? And unfortunately I went to, you know, some you know, incorrect sources on that and, and wasn't very parented or fathered very well in that. And you're right. I, I think that if we can just, if we can just make that, if we can just, yeah, just, just come alongside our young men and be like, you know, this is, this is what you do. And this is why, and, and Another word that came to mind when you were talking about, you know, the the target of of the sex industry or the, or or porn or porn sites is just like uh, that's that's evil in yes. my mind. I mean, it's it's just that's just that's that's what evil looks like in our our society today. And you know, some of the things that are being taught in in the classroom when it comes to sex ed, you know, that's a whole other topic for for another another day, another podcast. But um yeah, that that's some of that stuff is just is just truly evil in in my mind, and and you know I I just don't know I I don't I don't know where like I said I don't know where where I would be as as an individual if I if I hadn't had that you know I I didn't have unfettered access, but I was like you said I would I found it I found ways to to do it and get access to it and. And, um, at the time it was, it was, it wasn't as, as glorified it is, as it is now, or even just so much mainstream as, as it is now. And so it was still a little taboo, but, but that was in the days when you were starting to see, you know, someone having like a cross, a crossover star from, from the adult industry into the mainstream film industry was a little bit more, a little bit more common, or you were seeing, you know, centerfolds and Playboy, they were getting starting to get TV deals like, you know, people like Jenny McCarthy, you know, like she started to show up on, uh, you know, on MTV for a, you know, a, how many and how many, you know, young men turned to Playboy and started getting, you know, picking up that magazine because they saw her on Singled Out. You know, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit with that reference, but, you know, I'm I'm one of those guys like I, I didn't I first saw her on on that television show and then that was one of my gateways, I guess, into, into that. But, um, um, 
I, one thing I want to ask, we got a couple minutes before, uh, before the break here, um, kind of shifting, shifting gears a little bit. We talked about fathering, uh, young men. Um, who are, who are some of the, uh, um, you know, uh, strong male influences that you've had in your life that you might want to give some, uh, some props to, or maybe a shout out to here, right. Uh, just before the break. Yeah. Well, um, so you've already mentioned John Eldridge. And, uh, so I, I will date myself a little bit that I was, uh, I was in my late twenties, early thirties when his book, wild at heart came out and I was overseas in Christian ministry. Uh, and so I didn't have a lot of guys around me who were older and kind of feeding me and, and pouring into me. Mm-hmm. So I really turned to authors and John's book was one of the first that really opened up the categories that I needed to explore in, in my heart and in my life. Um, so John would be one, another, uh, author, uh, and also now friend is Dan Allender. Um, mm. he is, a um, one of the starting, you know, founding professors at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. And uh, he has written several books. And so I just, he's poured into my life in many ways. Um, Also the author, Richard Rohr, uh, the author, Kurt Thompson. So I have a lot of authors that I just am indebted to. Personally, uh, I have uh, three guys that have really stood out in my life's journey. One uh, was when I was in high school his name is Ben McComb, and he was my young life leader. And I would go up to his house before the, you know, the the group, you know, engagements that we would have, and we would hang out together. Uh, he had a split rail fence outside of his yard, and so we would go hang out at the split rail fence and just talk and just talk mm-hmm. about life. Uh, another is Mark Rafus. He uh, was in my college years, uh, a man who really poured into me during my college years. And then since then, another man named Craig Glass, uh, who is also a friend, uh, he's 20 years my senior, has been doing the kinds of things I've been doing uh, for longer and similarly. And so he has often, you know, spoken words of life to me. So these are the guys that I look to as my as my mentors, as my sages. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard, um, I've heard of Dan Allender. I, I don't know, um, if I've read any of his books, but I do when you, when you mentioned his name that, uh, um, uh, that, that rang a bell there, but, uh, um, yeah. And I, like you said, you know, both you and I both, uh, you know, love, uh, love John Eldridge. He was, I was honored to have him on, uh, on the show uh, a couple of years ago. Um, Morgan Snyder, uh, from, from John's team, um, um, uh, Alan Arnold, uh, from John's team as well. The, those were all really great. Uh, and, uh, Bart Hansen, he's not a published author, but he's, uh, he's kind of the backbone of that, uh, that program there. He was, uh, really, really great to, uh, to have on and to, to talk with him and, um, Actually, about uh, well, it was right before the pandemic shut everything down. I, I had a chance to uh, uh, to sit and have breakfast with Bart at one of, at the. Uh, it was the last Wild at Heart retreat that they had just before COVID shut everything mm-hmm. down. Now that they've you know, now that things are are back quote unquote back to normal again, uh, they've been having more events. But uh, uh, it was just uh, you know nice to nice to have uh, you know have that, and I shared a little bit of a special moment with him. But uh, um, it was. Uh, yeah, just just some of those guys in in that space, and and even um, you know, I've I've talked about my own father too. Um, he's uh, he he was a really. Uh, I try not to get emotional about it, but he, uh, I'm just very thankful that I had him 
growing up in my life and that uh, I know so many men go through life with uh, tense relationships with their fathers and sometimes don't even know their fathers. And uh, I'm just very grateful that I knew my, knew my dad and that uh, he was he was there for me. Um, one story I like to tell about about him is that uh, when I was in high school, didn't, didn't date a lot, didn't have a lot of girlfriends. Uh, and so the tradition was why I was going to school. Like if you were a football player on game day, you wore your Jersey to school and then your girlfriend wore your opposite color Jersey. Well, I never had anybody to wear any of my opposite color jerseys, So I was left at home and uh, dad always showed up to the games wearing my opposite Jersey. Wow. And, uh, I didn't, you know, being a teenager and not having a girlfriend at the time, I didn't really appreciate it. It was a little more embarrassing to me at the time, but looking back on it now, I I just, uh, it was, that was huge. That was huge. And and, uh, one of my sister's classmates was like, yeah, my dad was at the game and and saw me out on the field. He'd be like, get off the field. You don't belong out there, you know? And he, and, but he was just like, you know, said it was really cool that, uh, my dad did that. So, um, dad, if you listen to this, I'm thinking of you. Um, and, uh, I actually, he was on the show very, very early on when I started doing this, but, uh, uh we got about, uh, 60 seconds here before the break. So I'm going to go ahead and, uh, we'll, we'll put a pause on it for now. Take a quick break. Uh, he is, uh, Chris Bruno from the restoration project. Uh, he, uh, will come back uh, just after a few minutes here. I am John Waltz, your host of the Discovering Masculinity podcast, and we'll be right back. Guys, I want to tell you about a very special company that I am honored to be a brand ambassador for, and that is 3NailsClothing.com. Now, 3Nails Clothing, uh, it is premium activewear created for athletes who represent the kingdom of God in a modern, minimalist fashion. That comes straight from their website. Now, a portion of profits from every sale go to Agape International Mission, which helps uh, victims of human trafficking. So really great cause, really great company, and really great activewear. If you know anything about me, I love to uh, to work out. I love to uh, to be active, especially go out on the golf course. And this company has some great activewear for uh, for you or your loved one who works out. Shorts, joggers, hoodies. Uh, I personally have their uh, their zip uh, hoodie, and uh, it's very warm, very durable, very flexible. A uh, really great item of activewear that I've picked up. I've worn that here uh, a lot over the last few days as we've had a recent cold snap in Nashville. But uh, socks, hats, uh, bracelets, men and women's uh, attire uh, for activewear. Again, go to 3nailsclothing.com. And how you can help me and help benefit this show uh, as part of the Brand Ambassador Program, you can use my promo code DISCOVERING at checkout. That's D-I-S-C-O-V. E-R-I-N-G, promo code DISCOVERING at checkout for 10% off your order. Again, go to 3nailsclothing.com. That's 
all spelled out, T-H-R-E-E-N-A-I-L-S, clothing.com for uh, your active wear order from Three three Nails Clothing. Use promo code DISCOVERING at checkout for 10% off your order. Again, great place uh, to to get active wear. Again, these guys have a a real purpose behind uh, what they're doing and what they're selling. This would be a great way to uh, kickstart your New Year's resolution or even get uh, some active wear together for the loved one in your life who uh, who is active, loves to exercise and work out. That's 3nailsclothing.com, promo code DISCOVERING for uh, 10% off your order. 3nails Clothing, active wear, built for purpose. Welcome back. This is the Discovering Masculinity podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, coming to you from beautiful Franklin, Tennessee, just south of the Music City. And uh, joining me for this episode is the uh, CEO and founder of the Restoration Project, Mr. Uh, Chris Bruno. Uh, again, this man is a licensed professional counselor, work, does tons of work with uh, with men and, and in this space. And uh, uh, Chris, it's, uh, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, some of the... Uh, uh, strong male influences and male figures that we've had in our in our life. Uh, you mentioned a lot of uh, a lot of authors. One one thing that I kind of like to ask, and I, I borrowed this a little bit from uh, from John Elders in one of his Bible studies. And um, actually, the, my previous guest last night, we were talking a little bit about this. But uh, um, what who are some of the uh, strong um you know uh characters in in fiction whether it be from you know literary uh cinema television that you would point to and say okay this is a good man this is the type of person that uh that you should emulate and if the world had more men like this you know we we would be uh, uh society would be much better off yeah well uh so i just published a book called sage a man's guide into his second passage uh in september and I say that because I write a lot about this very question. Um, so okay. when I when I was 16 years old, I was an exchange student in at that time. Again, here we are dating ourselves. At that time, West Germany. Oh, uh, <laughs> you are dating yourself. So, there. Uh, yeah. Um, Sorry for so laughing, that, but I just yeah. I well, being, go ahead, laugh. Yeah, I remember being about five, six years old when the when the wall came down. So yeah. Like, so I was an exchange student in Germany. I was sixteen, and um, it was 1989. It was the year the wall came down, and obviously, I arrived in July and had no idea that would be the fall that I would be heading into, uh, where West and East Germany were kind of sent into this uh, kind of chaotic tailspin of reunification and all that. My point is, though, not about the the wall and the fall of the, the wall and all that. My point is that I was an exchange student and I mm-hmm. took with me three fiction books uh, in English because I knew I would only have three books that I could potentially read while I was there. And also, you know, just like I was immersed in German and it was kind of an, an escape for me. So 
these books are, uh, they're called The Pendragon Cycle by Stephen Lawhead. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, fiction, kind of historical fiction books around uh, the King Arthur time frame. A lot of it, I mean, is obviously fictionalized. There's stuff about Atlantis. There's stuff about, you know, there's a little bit of magic that's in there that, you know, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the main characters is uh, Merlin. And okay. he's actually, you know, in history, uh, someone that we've, well, it, legend has it now that he was a magician, but historically he was actually what's called a bard. And a bard is uh, a man who will hold the stories of the people and then sing those stories over the people in the king's chamber, both so that they can remember who they who they are and where they've come from, and then also have courage for where they are going. Uh, and so he would do this, you know, he was a counselor to the king, he was an advisor, uh, he had all kinds of uh, training and experience, he was trained as a priest, he was trained as a bard, he was trained uh, by even some of the, you know, the the more kind of earthy people, the tribes that were in ancient, you know, Scotland and England and all that. So um, he was a very, very wise man. And so as a 16 year old, I latched on to Merlin and he kind okay. of became the, the, the wise man, the sage that I wanted to become mm. uh, to the degree that I wrote about him just last year in my most recent book. And um, I, listeners won't be able to see this, but I have a I have a tattoo on my arm, kind of commemorating how I have identified in my life with Merlin, and how in some ways I feel like I am that character as well, and I'm learning to become that person myself. So that's a fantastic question. Um, for me, it's always uh, besides Merlin, it's always the the wise one. Mm, always okay. the wise yeah. one in the story. Uh, it's the Dumbledore. It's the Yoda. Uh, it's the um, you know the 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 sage, the the one who's kind of the advisor to the king. And and, and I talk about it in the sense of the hero behind the hero. We okay. often think about the, the hero as the front facing. The story is about that guy, but that guy would not be that guy without the the wise one standing behind him. So those are the ones that I gravitate towards. Okay. Great, great. Yeah, I, I, um, I gravitate a little bit more towards the, um, I, I guess the, um, the warrior, and the little bit more towards the, uh, the, the king itself, or say those archetypes. Yeah. Um, personally, I, I think it might just be the, the stage of life that, that I'm in. You know, I, I'm, uh, uh, I turned forty, uh, just a few months ago, so I, I'm still kind of in that phase of where you know where i'm coming out of my 30s and starting to you know maybe just i guess you know use a secular phrase like build my empire i guess is is, would be the uh the best way to put it but uh um i uh you know my my favorite i think my favorite movie is uh is braveheart i mean that's you know is is one of my favorites um really like the uh i've always really liked the dark knight trilogy with uh, christian bale playing playing batman just because i'm you know big big fan of uh of the batman character and and even like batman the animated series the, the I, I think about that because the voice actor who portrayed batman in that series he passed away um in december i think it was in december of this past year um uh, but uh you know th- th- i think of um that archetype um i was actually well before we started recording i was talking about uh you know the kind of the tangent that i got off on with my previous guest we were talking about uh um we were 
we had something in common so we we're both star trek nerds and so there were a couple characters from star uh from star trek deep space nine that i referenced um so then we got to, to talking about that but uh um uh benjamin cisco from star trek deep space nine he's uh, a really uh he's one that i look look to because his character arc underwent such a, a, a really interesting journey throughout the course of the series and you know, he started off as kind of a you know angry cynical man who was put on this remote outpost that he didn't want to be there and he's a single dad and trying to you know get get his bearing and then all of a sudden you know towards at the end of the series you know being that it's sci-fi you know he had to sacrifice himself to save the to save the day you know and and went through went through a war arc where he was a, he was a soldier and still had to maintain his role as a father and a leader and and you know it was just a really really interesting uh character arc that that he went through that that character went through and so i still I still look at that reference. One of his, um, he, he quoted the line, um, or he used the line from Alexander the great fortune favors, the bold used it in one of the episodes in a poignant moment in the series. And so I, I like to uh, contemplate that. Or I like to use that line when I'm feeling co uh, confident. And, uh, but, uh, those are, those are a couple of mine. That's, that's a question that I like to ask of, of my guests too. And, and a really good friend of mine, um, you and I will both know, know this character. Um, he, he brought up, uh, the rifleman from, from the old, uh, TV series, I guess. I don't know what decade that was, was, was made. I want to say fifties or sixties, maybe, or it was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all the episodes I've ever seen of it are in black and white. So, but he, that was one that uh, a friend of mine brought up. And um, so I, I, yeah, I think, you know, wise one sages or even just, you know, characters who, who go through that, uh, that character arc, or even just, you know, ones that are, yeah, you know, that that have the ability to uh, to be forceful or or use use that type of violence, but can can kind of control it like like the rifleman. I think that's uh, those are those are good references there. And um, there's even a biblical reference. There's a clip of Jordan Peterson going that goes around where he talks about the translation of the word meek, where Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. When well, you know meek doesn't mean weak; it means those who know how to use their swords but keep them sheathed. And I think that. We, it's kind of a two-sided coin when you when you meet a man he either's really too quickly he's he's too quick to unsheathe that sword or he you know figuratively speaking or or he doesn't unsheathe it at all when when necessary um and so i that's another thing kind of going back to our our first topic of of the uh the state of masculinity but um um any any um uh commentary on that before we move on to uh uh to the, our next topic or I, I love the statement that you just made about meekness. And, you know, I, I want to endeavor to be a man who has such strength. He never needs to unsheath his sword. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's powerful. That's powerful. Um, it's, uh, yeah, hey. I, I don't think I've ever been in any type of a fight since I was in middle school. So I'm kind of thankful for that. I mean, if, if you don't count football, I mean, but football is a, you know, controlled fight. I played, played that in high school and a little bit in college, but, um, it's, uh, that's, that's a little different, but, uh, um, 
But yeah, well, let's let's kind of change uh, change topics here, change gears here. I want to ask you about uh, about the restoration project and kind of your um, just kind of get some history about it and just you know, what uh, you, you know you're the uh, the CEO and and uh, co-founder. And so I just want to uh, take us back to the beginning when you uh, when you formed the restoration project and then just kind of take us through and and tell us a little bit about uh, uh, some of the work that you're doing there and and uh, what the restoration project does. Yeah, sure. So um, I already mentioned that I had lived overseas uh, in Christian ministry for a good portion of my my life. Uh, as that time came to an end, I wanted to retool and retrain for the next season of life and ministry. And so when I came back to the United States, I did go to seminary to get uh, a master's in counseling psychology uh, so that I could do this work uh, with men. That was always my intent. And so I was in Seattle uh, getting this, you know, degree and uh, had uh, met a, a man who was a pastor at a church plant in Seattle. And kind of, we kind of hit it off and found out that, you know, happened to live down the street from each other. Uh, we were, you know, he was a pastor at a church that we were going to start going to. And so we became, we became friends. He also had a similar heart to, to mine to uh, kind of the pursue the heart of men and so um, what I was learning to do in the classroom, we both had the laboratory for in the church. And uh, so together, uh, his name is Greg Daly, together, and uh, he and I kind of began to imagine what would it look like for us to do something slightly differently, uh, but with much intention around kind of building a ministry uh, that would uh, be a different kind of engagement of a man's heart. And uh, so... Uh, as time went on, you know, in my program, my seminary program, I also hijacked every single uh, assignment that I could, uh, whether it was, you know, in marriage and family, uh, I would take the masculine or male side of things. So I would talk about what does it look like to be a husband in, in sexuality classes, I would, you know, male sexuality, male spirituality, male development, growth and development, like all those things were something I really hyper-focused on uh, in, in that program. So by the time I finished the program, Greg and I were ready to kind of imagine what does this then look like? We'd done several things in the church uh, and in some churches around the Seattle area. Uh, and I really felt this, uh, this vision to start Restoration Project. And so one day I sat down with Greg and I said, hey, I'm going to move to Colorado and I'm going to start something called Restoration Project. Do you want to come with me? Uh, and uh, wisely, he said, let me talk to my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, but then very Good shortly man. after that, uh, he he came back and said, yeah, we're in. And so uh, I moved to Colorado first because uh, I had you know been preparing for that. Uh, and then after that, he came, he and his wife and family came a year later and we started uh, Restoration Project. So that was back in 2010. So we've been around for 12 years now. And uh, the, the focus of our work it really has three main categories of what we focus on uh, with regard to the heart, uh, with regard to men, because these are three roles. These are three positions that every man uh, plays. He has. Uh, it is the role of father. It is the role of brother. And it is the role of son. And so I'll, I'll start with the son and that being really kind of it is important for us as men to know who we are as a beloved son of God. Okay, so we do uh, a lot of work in that, and I'll describe what the work is in a moment. So we do a lot of work with regard to that. In the area of brother, whether or not a man has siblings, 
it goes back to the camaraderie that we and the and the relationship that we have with our peers with other people uh and so you and i right now are having a brother conversation we we have brothers out there we can be brothers to men we can be brothers to women we are in these inner relationships and how are we then brothers and i think specifically we're trying to help guys get into the deeper and more meaningful masculine relationships that are going to both uh, grow them and mature them and keep them over the course of their lives. Uh, So that's the brotherhood space. And then the fatherhood space, again, whether or not a man has children, uh, he has that fathering energy that God has given him to father the world. And so he fathers his children, of course, he fathers his community, he fathers his church, he fathers other men, he fathers, you know, his school, wherever he is, he brings, he can bring and should be bringing that fathering energy into the world. So restoration projects, the focus of restoration project is that the work, actual work that we do is that we, we are experience and resource architects around those three things. So we have resources for sonship, brotherhood, and fatherhood. And then we have experiences that we invite guys into around sonship, fatherhood, and brotherhood. Uh, And so uh, for me personally, I've got three children and uh, in the fatherhood space, we have um, uh, I, uh, much of the work that I do, whether it's in the fatherhood, you know, book that I wrote about this or the sage book, I try to live my life out loud. And so I was a father of a 12 year old boy. And I knew that he was making the transition from boy into man. And I needed to do something really intentional. And there were, there's literature out there, but a lot of it I found to be, it just didn't jive with me and my personality. And so what did I do? I went and wrote another book about it. So uh, that's called Mamaker Project. And that is the core of a lot of the fatherhood material that we do. And we do this with fathering sons. We also do it with fathering daughters as well. So we have these expeditions that we run, uh, backcountry expeditions, fathering uh, experiences that we put on for dads of sons and dads of daughters as well as then uh, fathering material that we have in an online community, membership community for dads who want to become better dads uh, and grow in being a father, an intentional father, and just need a little bit of help along the way. Um, So that's that. We also have brotherhood material to help men's groups dive deeper and go beyond just the, you know, answer question one, answer question two. What do you think about what the speaker said? You know, Mm -hmm men's breakfast is over, go home. Like we want for something far more than that. So that's the brotherhood material. And again, we have, you know, backpacking trips that we take guys on uh, and also brotherhood actual material that groups will go through. Um, And then same thing for, for sonship. So that's the core of what restoration project is. Uh, And then simultaneous to that, I'm also, you've mentioned this. I'm also a licensed professional counselor. I also founded uh, and uh, am the CEO of Restory Counseling in Fort Collins, Colorado. But we have, um, you know, counselors all across the country who do deeper work with people um, in in the area of their story, in the realm of their stories. And so, okay. our team is about twenty, you know, twenty people uh, across the country that are able to engage on that counseling side of things, that story coaching, that spiritual direction side of things that um, that people often want. So. Those are the two things that I'm really 
deeply embedded in. Okay, great, great. And you mentioned um, uh, earlier you you had just written a book, uh, or you just published a published a book. Um, yeah, Sage. Uh, it was uh, in October. You said you had had published. Yeah, that? it was it was published in September. Oh, um, September. Okay. Yep, in September. And it's called Sage, A Man's Guide into His Second Passage. And this is uh, the the way that I talk about this, John, is this, that the, my first book, Manmaker Project, is about the first passage of a man's life, where a boy becomes a man. Sage is about the second passage of a man's life, where a man becomes a sage. And the kind of the subtitle or text or, or language I put around this is, if the task of the first passage is for the father to find the man within the boy and call him forth, the task of the second passage is for the man to find the boy and bring him home. Hmm. Okay. There is a sense of like a, a sage is a movement of reintegration of bringing back all those parts of us that need to be brought back and, and, and tended to in, on the inside so that we can become that sage. That's the second passage. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I um, will have uh, links to those books and uh, links to the uh, restoration project website in the, uh, in the show notes. Um, uh, Chris, before we wrap things up here, uh, I, I want to go through uh, one more question and, and this sure. is um, this is my wrap up question. So uh, I, I, I ask each guest this question as well. Um, and I know you've had some experience, uh, speaking into, uh, into young men's life and that's the target audience and demographic of this show is, you know, young men who are in their you twenties know, and thirties, they're kind of trying to get their footing in the world, trying to figure out what they do with their own masculinity in life. So what would you say to, uh, uh, a young man who's kind of embattled, who's a little bit more bitter towards the world, or maybe even just thinking about kind of going going down that secular path of just going his own way and just kind of abandoning some of those traditional masculine roles. What would you, uh, what kind of counsel, what kind of advice would you give to uh, a young man in that situation? Yeah, I think the first thing that I would say, John, is um, I'm sorry. Okay, mm-hmm. I would say I'm sorry to you, young man, that you are living in a world that we created. Secondly, I would say you probably have things to be angry about. If you find yourself down and out, if you find yourself angry, if you find yourself disenfranchised, if you find yourself confused, uh, there, there are things to be confused about. And the fact that you're confused doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It actually means that there's something right with you. It means that there is something that inside of you goes, this is not how life should be. I don't know how life should be, but I know this is not it. And so therefore, uh, your confusion is actually an indication uh, that your heart is still beating and there is desire still in you. Third, I would say there is a divine masterpiece written into you. You were intended. There is a God who intended your existence. He thought you up. He found delight in you so much that he decided to breathe life into you. And uh, as Richard Gore talks about, there, there is a diamond implanted in the heart of every person. And your task as a young man, as confused and angry and lost as you may be, is to pursue and find what that diamond actually is. Um, so one of the most uh, significant engagements that I had with a client 
was with a 20 year old young man who came in to counseling and he, you know, I was like, okay, you know, first session, we're like, Hey, what do you, you know, what brings you in? Mm -hmm. And his response was, I want to be the best version of myself. And I am just about to head out. I'm about to graduate college. I'm about to head out. I'm not, you know, engaged or I'm not even dating anybody right now, but I want to eventually. And I want to make sure that I do my own work first before I bring all of that into a marriage, before I bring that into a career. So that's what I want to work on. And I'll tell you, that was one of the most impactful clients that I've ever worked with was a 20 year old young man who said, I am going to look at the, look down the tunnel of time and, and imagine who the man is that I want to become. And I'm going to start becoming that even now. So that's what I would say. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. Gosh, if we only had more 20 year olds like that, you know, I know, I know. <laughs> I think we actually do, John. I think yeah. we actually. Yeah. I got, I get from, from what I've seen in, in this, uh, in this space and doing this work, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of men who are stepping into that sage position, that sage role in their life. And, and I've had some of those, I've been honored to have some of those men on, uh, on the show and on the podcast to, to kind of talk about that. And they're, they're doing some great work uh, in this space as well. Uh, so I, and you, you are too, Chris, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, I, I hadn't, uh, hadn't picked up any of your books yet. I'll, I'll be sure to do that and give them uh, take a deep dive into them. Um, I always love, you know, reading, uh, in this, uh, in this space and on these topics and, and I'll definitely, uh, uh, do that. But, um, before we, uh, before we wrap things up, um, Chris, where's the uh, best place for people to find you and find your work? Yeah. So two places. One is the, the restory counseling is at restory.life. And then restoration project is at restorationproject.net. And if you're interested in sage, it'd be, you know.net slash sage. So those are the two main places to, to find out more about what we're doing. Okay. Awesome. Well, he is Chris Bruno, uh, co-founder and CEO of the Restoration Project and Restory Counseling, author of the Manmaker Project and Sage. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time tonight to uh, to have this discussion with me. Really enjoyed it. Uh, it was really great to uh, to meet you and get to know you. And uh, would love to uh, to have you back on at some point. I know we left. Uh, I try and keep these around an hour, so I know when we kind of get into these some of these topics, they uh, you know we leave a little bit on the table there. But uh, I would love to maybe get you back on for some type of a panel discussion with some of these other uh, uh, gentlemen that I've had on the podcast. But uh, uh, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Awesome. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, John. Okay. All right. Thank you. He is Chris Bruno. I am John Waltz. This is the Discovering Masculinity Podcast, and I will talk to you all next time.